Welcome to The Randy Report. I'm Randy Slavacek, your host. I'm also the writer and editor of therandyreport.com, where you can find me every single day on the internet reporting on the daily news cycle in terms of politics, pop culture, and entertainment news of interest to the LGBTQ community and its allies. In this week's headlines, the U.S. Navy christens a new ship named after iconic LGBTQ activist Harvey Milk. A new study shows LGBTQ people are much more likely to get vaccinated than the general population. The new documentary, Mayor Pete, offers an insider look at presidential campaigns. And Brothers Osborne star T.J. Osborne made history at the CMA Awards this week. All that and more in this episode of The Randy Report. The United States Navy christened the USNS Harvey Milk in a ceremony in San Diego, California earlier this month. The ship is named after the iconic LGBTQ activist who became one of America's first gay elected officials when he became a San Francisco City Supervisor, Harvey Milk. He was a former Navy officer who was forced to resign after his superiors found out he was gay. The USNS Harvey Milk is the second new ship built in the John Lewis class of ships, named after the late famed civil rights activist, as was the first ship in the fleet, which was launched into service in January. Todd Gloria, the out mayor of San Diego, said at the ceremony, quote, Harvey was a beacon of hope not just for LGBTQ people, but all Americans. Now, this ship will serve as a symbol of hope for the world to see, end quote. Glory was on hand, along with Secretary of the Navy Carlos Del Torrio, former Secretary of the Navy Ray Mabus, California Democrats Vice Chair David Campos, who once served as Milk's campaign manager, and Harvey Milk's nephew, Stewart, among others. Paula Nira, the Clinical Program Director of the Johns Hopkins Center for Transgender Health and a Navy veteran herself, christened the ship by breaking a bottle of sparkling wine across its bow. Secretary of the Navy Carlos del Toro said at the christening, quote, For far too long, sailors like Lieutenant Milk were forced into the shadows or, worse yet, forced out of our beloved Navy. That injustice is part of our Navy history, but so is the perseverance of all who continue to serve in the face of injustice. He added, the Secretary of the Navy needed to be here today, not just to amend the wrongs of the past, but to give inspiration to all of our LGBTQ community leaders who served in the Navy, in uniform today, and in the civilian workforce as well, and to tell them that we're committed to them in the future. Also speaking at the event, Harvey Milk's nephew Stewart noted that his uncle, quote, has a less than honorable discharge, having been forced to resign because he was gay. But Stewart feels it's important that the discharge isn't reversed, because, as he said, we have to teach our history to prevent ourselves from going backwards and repeating it. He added, Today we are celebrating something much bigger than tolerance. The Navy not only recognizes, but honors those other LGBTQ service members. So this Navy ship sends an important message to the world. 
Marquisha Lawrence, a 28-year-old black transgender woman, was shot to death on November 4th in Greenville, South Carolina, becoming at least the 46th transgender or non-binary person known to have died by violence in the U.S. this year. That surpasses the record set in 2020 of 44 deaths. Lawrence was found dead in her home by family members. According to the coroner's office, she appeared to have been in an altercation with one or more individuals. The office declared Lawrence's death a homicide. The Greenville County Sheriff's Office says the investigation is ongoing. In a statement, Lawrence's mother, Ebony Sinclair, said, Marquisha Quee Lawrence, like so many before have gone before her, fell victim to a senseless murder. Quee was a young trans woman at the beginning of this game called life as we know it in the trans community. She will forever be remembered by her infectious smile and her heart of gold. Sinclair told the Human Rights Campaign that Lawrence may have been killed for accepting who she was and living her truth. Tori Cooper, the Human Rights Campaign's Director of Community Engagement for the Transgender Justice Initiative, noted the tragic milestones surpassed with Lawrence's death. She said, We must commit to honoring trans lives and ending the horrific epidemic of violence that plagues our community. Marquisha deserved nothing less than our full commitment to building a better future for trans people. It's worth noting that South Carolina doesn't have a hate crimes prevention law, nor are transgender or gender nonconforming people specifically protected against discrimination in most cases. A new survey from the Human Rights Campaign indicates that a whopping 91% of LGBTQ adults are fully vaccinated against the coronavirus. That's 20 percentage points higher than the general population's vaccination rate today. Currently, almost 70% of Americans 12 or older are fully vaccinated against COVID-19. An additional 3% of LGBTQ people said they'd received at least their first shot. The study also found that LGBTQ people were much less likely than cisgender heterosexual people to say they'll never get vaccinated. Only 6% of LGBTQ people in the survey said that they're unvaccinated and have no plans to do so. Meanwhile, an NPR poll conducted in September showed 19% of the U.S. population said they will never get vaccinated. One reason that LGBTQ people were more likely to be vaccinated was that they reported much higher confidence in the vaccines than other Americans. 60% of LGBTQ adults said that they had a, quote, great deal of confidence in the vaccine, compared to 33% of U.S. adults who said the same thing. Another reason that queer people might have higher vaccination rates is that LGBTQ people are more likely to report having gotten COVID-19. 21% of LGBTQ adults said that they had tested positive or were pretty sure that they'd had it, compared to 14% of U.S. adults in general. Additionally, while the study didn't go into political party affiliation, LGBTQ people tend to be politically to the left of the general population, and the vaccine hesitancy seen across the country has been more associated in previous polls with Republicans much more than Democrats. Plus, following that logic, LGBTQ people are probably less likely to consume right-wing media like Fox News and Newsmax 
which have been known to share anti-vaccine ideology. The HRC survey involved 1,500 LGBTQ adults and was conducted by Community Marketing and Insights. Talk about a misstep. Conservative radio host Dennis Prager caught big backlash this week when he made the asinine claim that Americans refusing to get vaccinated for COVID-19 are treated worse than, wait for it folks, patients at the height of the AIDS epidemic. According to Newsweek, Prager made the ridiculous remark in an interview with right-wing fringe network Newsmax. Discussing the issue of vaccine mandates, Prager declared that Americans refusing the vaccine are, quote, the pariahs of America as I have not seen in my lifetime. During the AIDS crisis, can you imagine if gay men and intravenous drug users, who are the vast majority of the people with AIDS, had they been pariahs the way the non-vaccinated are? But it would have been inconceivable, and it should have been inconceivable. End quote. Given the insanity of the comment, queer voices chimed in to correct Prager. First, SiriusXM host and queer journalist Michelangelo Signorelli responded on Twitter, writing, People with AIDS weren't just pariahs. Conservatives like William F. Buckley Jr. wanted them tattooed. Everyone Prager looks up to in conservative punditry thought they all deserved what they got, God's wrath. That's not an exaggeration, end quote. And non-binary author D.E. Anderson added, Prager is playing dumb when he literally was part of the stigmatization of the queer community during the AIDS crisis. He knows what he's doing, and he's deliberately lying, end quote. Anderson and Signorelli's responses are just the surface of Prager's outlandish assertion. In the 1980s and 90s, doctors struggled to develop an effective treatment for HIV-AIDS as patients who received a positive diagnosis were given a death sentence. Homophobia rose to new levels of hostility, and hate crimes spiked during the period. During President Reagan's administration, government officials ignored the crisis. In fact, at times, there were jokes made about AIDS patients during press briefings. Reagan himself didn't even say the word AIDS until 1985, as so-called conservative Christians announced the disease was God's punishment for being gay. A positive diagnosis could lead to HIV patients losing their jobs, homes, or health care. 13-year-old Ryan White of Indiana, who contracted HIV through a blood transfusion, was banned from attending public school in a case that resulted in a lawsuit gaining national attention. Prager, it's worth noting, has a long history of targeting or denying the LGBTQ community, AIDS, and COVID-19 precautions. In 2014, he protested against same-sex marriage rights. He also claimed that heterosexual AIDS was a hoax. During the COVID-19 pandemic, Prager denounced lockdowns as the greatest mistake in the history of humanity and claimed that the media had overhyped the threat of the virus. Prager himself contracted COVID, but even then, he falsely claimed the disease would give him immunity against coronaviruses for life. Just add that to the heap of misinformation he spread most of his life.
A 14-year-old transgender boy is suing the state of Tennessee over its new law that bans transgender students from participating in school sports, which caused the teen to be barred from trying out for the boys' golf team. High school freshman Luke Esquivel is taking on the law, SB 228, with the help of the ACLU and Lambda Legal. In March, Republican Governor Bill Lee signed the bill into law prohibiting trans students in the state from participating in school sports in accordance with their gender identity. SB 228 requires students to play sports as the sex they were assigned at birth and says they must show proof of that sex through their original birth certificate. Governor Lee has claimed on Twitter that the new law would, quote, preserve women's athletics and ensure fair competition, but Esquivel says it's merely discrimination. He said in a statement, I was really looking forward to trying out for the boys' golf team, and if I made it, training and competing with and learning from other boys and improving my game. Then to have the legislature pass a law that singled out me and kids like me to keep us from being part of a team, that crushed me. It hurt very much. I just want to play like any other kid. Esquivel's mother, Shelley, supports her son's decision to pursue legal action, saying, A mother wants to see their kid happy, thriving, enjoying being a kid. High school sports are an important part of that. I know how much Luke was looking forward to playing on the boys' golf team. It's painful for a parent to see their child subjected to discrimination just because of who they are. I'm proud Luke is taking this step, and his father and I are with him all the way. The lawsuit not only claims discrimination by the state of Tennessee on the basis of sex and transgender status, but also says SB 228 violates the 14th Amendment's guarantee of equal protection under the law, as well as Title IX, which prohibits discrimination on the basis of sex in schools that receive federal funding. Hedy Weinberg, ACLU of Tennessee's executive director, notes that when Tennessee lawmakers approved SB 228, not one could name a single instance where a student was harmed by the participation of a trans student athlete. While Jojo Siwa and her professional partner Jenna johnson Shermovsky are putting up big scores on Dancing with the Stars, the dance competition's UK cousin, Strictly Come Dancing, is bringing serious heat with the show's first all-male team, John Waite and dance pro Johannes Radebe. Waite, who took home the trophy on season three of The Great British Bake Off, and Radebe have been impressing the judges and TV audience every week with consistently high marks. Twice they've racked up the highest score of the week, including one week with a nearly perfect 39 out of 40. Last week, the duo stopped hearts with a stunningly romantic rumba, set to Sting's Shape of My Heart. Known as the Dance of Love, the rumba is the most intimate dance in ballroom in Latin. Would the two men embrace the necessary sensuality? The answer was a resounding yes. Waite told The Mirror prior to the show, What we've done so far have been very masculine, laddie kinds of dances. We've had bantery dances, pally dances, now it's time to be romantic. The rumba is the most sensual dance, and we're not going to shy away from that. We're here to make the point that gay people and same-sex couples should be allowed to dance together. 
Now, as many listeners may recall, I've been a professional dancer for more than 40 years. If you had told me when I was in my teens and 20s that we would see a dance of this caliber and of this level of intimacy danced by two gay men on a mainstream TV series, I would not have believed you. Not only was the sensuality of the dance on full display, but the steps and the execution were stunning, and the men's arms were completely engaged, and the, the subtle rumba hip work was spot on. Props to Radebe for his consistently top-shelf choreography and to wait for more than keeping up. The duo are throwing down charisma and commitment every single week. And it's not just the judges who are impressed. Reading through the hundreds of comments on the YouTube page post, the TV audience is totally loving Team Gay. Here's just a few of the remarks. 1. So many emotions. As soon as the singer started, the tears just came rolling. I just love same-gender pairing because there are no rules about leaders and followers, and they can just make it the best dance they want it to be, and play to both their strengths. Another comment. I watched this tonight bawling my eyes out. As someone with autism, I know how terrifying it is to show the world your true self. But these two are doing just that. From one rainbow spectrum to another, I am so proud of you both. Another comment. I was so afraid they would back off on the choreography of this rumba, and I'm so freaking happy to see they went for it with a gorgeous, steamy, intimate dance. Loved it and hope to see John and Johannes make the finals. And just one more. I'm not usually a fan of the rumba, but this was something else. The connection between John and Johannes, the choreography and music all formed the most beautiful and breathtaking dance. Loved it. Earlier this season, the professional dancers opened the October 9th episode of Strictly Come Dancing with a gorgeous Bridgerton-inspired same-sex waltz set to a reimagined arrangement of Taylor Swift's Lover and Love Story. You can check out both of the clips at therandyreport.com. Country singer T.J. Osborne made history by kissing his boyfriend Abby Ventura at the CMA Awards last week after Brothers Osborne were named Vocal Duo of the Year. T.J. publicly came out as gay earlier this year in an interview with Time magazine, becoming the first out country music artist signed to a major label. In his acceptance speech, T.J. told the audience, It's been a crazy roller coaster of a year for us in so many ways, especially for me emotionally. And to have you all support me, it really does feel like love wins tonight. Thank you. By his side, as always, his older brother John added, Give this boy a round of applause. We love this genre. We love the people. We love you all so much. On bringing his boyfriend to the awards shindig, TJ told Entertainment Tonight, I hope this doesn't make anyone uncomfortable, but this is how I feel. I love this person, and I want to be open in every way. Hopefully, it can show people that they also don't need to hide or alter themselves in any way. Later, Brothers Osborne took the stage to sing Younger Me, a song from their CMA Award-nominated album, Skeletons. TJ has previously shared that he wrote the song about his experience coming to terms with his sexuality. The song gave country music fans something rarely heard in the genre, a story from the perspective of an openly gay star. In TJ's coming out, the band brought LGBTQ representation to radio stations usually dominated 
by straight white men. Before their performance, TJ said, For many years I would watch this show, year after year. I dreamed of being up here on this stage. There were so many things that were hurdles for me. I always felt, truly felt, like it would never be possible because of my sexuality to be here. And I wish my younger self could see me now. The win is the duo's fourth CMA award. Now, while Nashville has embraced the duo's music and TJ's coming out, not all of Tennessee has been so accepting. Earlier this year, the Tennessee State Senate unanimously approved a resolution to honor TJ. But Republicans in the state's House of Representatives blocked the honor, saying, We have some concerns. When Brothers Osborne recorded the music video for the song, they shot it in front of the steps to the state capitol to make a point. Bravo and congratulations to TJ and John on the win on so many levels. People magazine named 911 Lone Star actor Brian Michael Smith to their 2021 list of the sexiest men on television. The first time a transgender male has been included on the list. People wrote about Smith, well, howdy, partner. The 911 Lone Star star was one of people's ones to watch in 2021, and we will definitely not have a hard time keeping an eye on him. Smith celebrated on social media, writing, I've been called many things. This is a first. Incredibly honored to be included in this list with so many actors I admire. Big love to people for the historic shout out. He signed off with the hashtag representation matters and trans is beautiful. Since 1985, the magazine is named a sexiest man alive each year. This year, they picked actor Paul Rudd, known for his work on movies like Ant-Man and Clueless. Among the out-celebrities included in this year's list were Grammy Award winner Lil Nas X and Smith's Lone Star co-star Ronan Rubinstein, Saturday Night Live comedian Bowen Yang, and Post star Dylan Burnside. What to watch on TV these days? Make sure to check out Mayor Pete, the new documentary by Jesse Moss. Mayor Pete follows Pete Buttigieg and his husband Chaston from Pete's decision to run for president all the way through election 2020. In the same vein as Feed and The War Room, the film offers a rare behind-the-scenes look at the workings of American politics. Armed with his team of talented campaign consultants, Buttigieg crisscrosses the United States shaking hands, becoming a household name even as he survives repeated homophobic rhetoric along the way. Moss presents Buttigieg as a political candidate who possesses extraordinary political skills even as he also addresses his own personal flaws. Whether winning the Iowa caucus or being confronted by angry protesters, Mayor Pete remains cool in practically every situation. At the center of the film, along with Pete, is his relationship with Chaston. The director and his editors capture the duo in private moments where the couple has an almost constant nonverbal communication. The movie also showcases Chaston's own political instincts as an advisor. He was clearly the campaign's secret weapon. Mayor Pete is insightful, uplifting, and heartwarming, and shouldn't be missed by fans of Buttigieg as well as anyone with an eye turned towards the American political stage. Mayor Pete is now streaming on Amazon Video. Also in Buttigieg news, Pete and Chaston's son, Joseph Augustus, 
is out of the hospital and doing well, according to a tweet from Chaston this past week. The infant, also known as Gus, returned home after three weeks of medical treatment, including time spent on a ventilator. He and his sister, Penelope Rose, were adopted by the couple in late summer after the Buddha judges had sought to grow their family for over a year. Gus and his parents received an outpouring of good wishes from across the country, including the LGBTQ community. Best to the Buddha judges on the continued recovery. And that brings me to the end of this episode of The Randy Report. If you enjoy catching up on LGBTQ news in a quick podcast, I'd appreciate it if you'd share it with your friends. I like to think of The Randy Report as the 60 minutes of gay news, only shorter. And remember, you can find me every single day on the internet at therandyreport.com, where I cover the daily news cycle regarding politics, pop culture, and entertainment news of interest to the LGBTQ community and its allies. Thanks for listening, folks. Take care of yourselves, and I'll see you next time.